Fasten your seatbelt. I am taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Forget him, kid. To infinity and beyond! It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. So you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me, and my natural response could be to get offended. Well, fine, let's talk about it. Any thoughts of, of your own on this matter? But you, is that your thing? You come into a bar, you read some obscure passage, and then pretend you, you pawn it off as your own idea just to impress some girls? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. Yes, it's the 30-something movie podcast. I am your host, John Reed, and we are here to talk about In the Line of Fire. I have with me this time around Patrick. Patrick, how you doing? Great, John. How you doing? Hi, everybody. Doing pretty good. Bo, how's it going? Not so bad. How you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. And Dennis, how's it going? Doing great, John. De- Dennis in the mobile recording studio. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, like I said, this time we are talking in the line of fire. So very, very quickly, we spoil the movies we talk about. Just this is your only warning. Visit our website, 30podcast.com, 30podcast.com. You can leave a rating, a voicemail. You could become a co-executive producer on Patreon. If you do that, there's bonus episodes there. There's all kinds of really good stuff. Oddly enough, I think if I were to count up where we're at in terms of our episodes, I think as of this month, if you count our full-length Patreon episodes and you count the episodes in the regular feed, I think we're hitting 500 episodes total. It's not 500 episodes like here in the regular feed, but there's about 32 over there, and this one is episode 468. So it was, it was my understanding. It was my understanding there would be no math. that there would be no math. But I think I did that right. So, so we've done a few podcasts, gentlemen. Just a couple. Mm-hmm. This is long enough that it feels like just a normal part of my life. I, I can't remember pre-podcast, Pat. I know. I, I think we did other things before this. I, I, think, I think there is no tomorrow, John. I don't know exactly I think, what it was, but... And I don't feel like I don't feel like it's been going on forever. I don't I like it doesn't feel like it's been a really really long time. I'm not feeling like the way Clint Eastwood looks in this movie. We'll put it that way. Yes. Yeah. Poor guy. I just wanted him to. Spoiler alert. I just wanted him to be able to go take a nap. <laughs> right. <laughs> like there's, there's moments scene. where he's like diving over fences, and I'm, I'm like, just let the man go rest. I'm I'm thinking, man, he's still got game. The, Clint Eastwood, the actor, mm-hmm. and uh, I forget, w- w- agent, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. still's got game. Yeah. How old Although is Clint Eastwood we, now? We were, we were asking that question earlier tonight. He was, he was born, he was born in oh, 1930. Okay. I, was like 90, I want to say 92, 93 was last I had heard, but I, I don't know. Okay. 90, would be 93. So it'd be 93 yeah. now, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's 92 years and, old. And he'll be, he'll and be he 93 could, this And month. he could still kick. And the thing is, he could still kick all of our asses, probably. Indeed. <laughs> Absolutely. I know. I know. Well, it's so funny because I, I don't want to get too far. I don't want to get too ahead of the podcast, but it was funny that, that growing up, you think of this as old Clint Eastwood 
but then he's got such a body of work since then. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like I, I've been going back and re-listening to old episodes and, and in the bonus feed episodes of The Greatest Generation, and they even talk mm-hmm. about it too. It's like, so wait a minute. You start with Star Trek The Motion Picture and Star Trek The Wrath of Khan, and those are the movies where we start commenting on, man, Kirk, McCoy, we're getting too old for this stuff. And how many more movies were there? I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, how much time are we going to spend feeling like everybody's too old for this and then we just keep on keep on going? And, it, and that was tonight as we were talking about it around the dinner table. I mentioned that, and my wife was like, how old was he? Because if this was made 30 years ago, and he, I'm like, this... Clint Eastwood has whatever syndrome Willie Nelson has. Like, I think they looked 60 when they were 20. I'm just going to say, and maybe I want to say the the fun thing for me is you said one of our three questions. Yeah. There's a certain actor comparison that can be made as well with another actor that has that young old thing ability. Yeah. I'll save it. I'll save it so we can get into the show. But this, this was an interesting rabbit hole to kind of climb down. Yeah. Are you you talking about a, a, a scruffy old nerf herder? Okay, so I guess there's another actor oh, that we else. can talk about. All right, I'll be curious. Yeah. Then. All right. All right. Well, so as I said, this one is in the line of fire. But before we get to that, we've got a little time traveling to do over here because it is the first week of the month. It is a new theme for our movies. We are in action movies this month, in the month of May. And since this is the first week, the first week of the month, we always hop in the DeLorean. We head back in time to see what was going on in May of 1993. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious. All right, so May of 93. Some news for May of 93. On May 4th, the World Trade Center bombing suspects are arrested. On May 5th, the Brady Bill is signed into law. It's not the TV show, but it's the gun law. May 6th, the Great Flood of 1993 begins. Do you guys remember that? I had I had family living in Missouri, so that whole huge flood oh. along the Mississippi River. No. No? That was that was a pretty big story. I, very, very vaguely, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't really remember too much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. And then a bunch of final episodes of some TV shows. May 8th, we had the final episode of Cheers airing on NBC. On May 9th, so this was this is kind of a sad week. On May 8th, we had the final episode of Cheers. On May 9th, we had the last episode of The Wonder Years. Wow. Wow. And then on May 12th, we had the final episode. This, this would have been more for my dad because he loved this show. May 12th, had the final episode of L.A. Law. And then for the grandmas out there, I don't know how many grandmas we have listening to the show, but for the grandmas out there, May 11th, 1993, was the first Beanie Babies are sold. Mm. Wow. And and if there's any grandmas out there listening, I'm sure they're still worth something. Don't worry about it. It's, It's okay that you spent all of your retirement money on the Beanie Babies. They were a good investment. They'll be worth something. All right, some famous births in May. May 14th, Miranda Cosgrove, an American actress and singer best known for her role in the TV series iCarly, is born. May 6th, Charlie Heaton, a British actor known for his role in Stranger Things. May 6th, Chris Colfer, American actor and author best known for his role in the TV series Glee. May 7th, Damal Gleeson, Irish actor known for his roles in the Harry Potter movies and Star Wars The Force Awakens. 
And let's see, May 27th, Lily Rose Depp, actress and model who is the daughter of Johnny Depp, was born. Then we've got some other famous folks that had died in May of 1993. May 12th, Elisha Cook Jr., an American actor known for his roles in movies such as The Maltese Falcon and The Big Sleep. May 20th, Leo Arnault, the French-American composer known for film scores, including The Cincinnati Kid and The War of the Worlds. And May 27th, Norman Vincent Peale, American minister and author known for his book, The Power of Positive Thinking. Sports news for this one. Michael Jordan is named the NBA's most valuable player for the third consecutive year. The Houston Rockets advanced to the NBA Finals for the first time in franchise history, led by Hakeem Olajuwon's dominant performance. And Monica Seles, the world's top-ranked female tennis player, is stabbed in the back during a match in Hamburg, Germany, by a deranged fan of her rival, Steffi Graf. And who says tennis is boring? <laughs> uh, top book, oddly enough, top book, a little uh, Clint Eastwood connection here. Top book is Bridges, Bridges of Madison County. Top movies, and we it's kind of funny that two of these top movies ended up in the Razzies for this year. The top movies in May of 93 were Dave, Sliver, and Cliffhanger. <laughs> oh, there's no accounting for taste. All right, so I've got, I, I pulled a little bit of audio for you. Some of these songs, I'm noticing a bit of a theme in the songs that were top songs in 1993, in May of 93. There were three songs that hit the number one of the top 100 in May of 1993. I'm going to play a little bit for you now. But again, it's, it's a bit of a 30 podcast after dark. The first song that was the top song in the first week of May 1993 is Freak Me by Silk. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's you get the gist. Well, isn't that special? <laughs> yeah, you're, you get the idea. The The next one I feel is, is just so much fun because I, the only reason that I feel it's so much fun is because I loved reading up a little bit of the biography of the performer for this one. It is from the second week. Actually, this is the second week. Yeah, Freak Me by Silk will come back in the second to last week of May, but for the... This one actually was top in, I think, April of 93, and it's back again. May 8th of 93 is Informer by Snow. The fun part about that one is reading up on his biography and, and I'd heard, I mean, obviously I'd heard this song. I think we've all heard this song, but reading up on his biography and finding out that snow is a, and I just love reading all these words together because they're, they're so much fun because they just don't fit. Snow is a Canadian reggae musician, rapper, and singer. He was born and raised in the North York District of Toronto, one of four children born to an Irish-Canadian cab driver and homemaker. 
I love that first line. Snow is a Canadian reggae musician. You could just stop right there. Yeah, I, I, it does I, sort of give you an image, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's just fun. That's fun. And then, oh, you know what? I, I missed a little and, connection. And these are, you're saying these are the number, these are the hits from in the United States? These were, yeah, these were the top, I think they were on the, they were the number one song on the Billboard Top 100, the Hot 100, in May of 93. When this got, wow, that, that is amazing, because I have never heard of either of those groups or songs. I think it's the first time I've ever heard them. And I'm a music guy, so it's You've never heard of Snow? I, I know. I oh, not. wow, yeah, that's no. like... I mean, that's turn the radio up stuff in my car. And phone number was big. Yeah, I think, I think, well, you weren't driving then, were you? No, that's fair. See, and so I think what it is is, you know how, like, younger kids are more into whatever the top whatever is? At this point, I have found many of my artists probably that I like, and I'm, like, rejecting what is usually pop culture music type of thing. That's so whatever, that's, that's That's all I think I can guess that's happening here is because I'm going – I'm over two on those. I have no idea. And uh, I could, I could usually, you give me the eighties and even songs I don't like, I'll name, I can name all the pop on top 100. So like, I'm like, Oh yeah, I heard that. Okay. I remember that song. But these man, I think this is when I kind of checked out of the, the pop culture sort of top hits and was just like diving into my own, my own bands that I found, you know, you get a little, I think you get a little more serious about the music and you're not following it as you, that, that's my guess. I don't know. That would make sense. I'm, I have Man, to concur. Informer I, comes I, on in our car and Donna and I both go. <laughs> I I got to be honest. I, I concur with Dennis. I'm 0 for 2. Really? And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm 0 for 2. Yeah. I don't think I'll, I don't think I'll listen to the first one again. No offense to anybody out there that is, that's their deal. Like just not my bag, baby. But like that second tune, I, I want to check that out. But you know what Dennis described, I think was exactly it because I started doing the math. I'm like, why wasn't I listening? Oh, that's why. And it no. was just. The, what I the music I was listening to and what it was, j- just like on a on, on a on a separate path. But yeah, I was I was sitting here over here listening like I, I don't know. <laughs> I like, you and the uh, country is this? You, you and Dennis, <laughs> you, you and Dennis are slumming it in the bottom one hundred, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, but I'm like I was listening to it and I was just like, man, keep that playing. Let's just. Yeah. I just I, that was I had a really good that had a good sound, man. Well, a, okay, there song. we go. So the one connection that I missed was in the first song, some of the lyrics for the, the Freak Me by Silk song, some of the lyrics are, baby, don't baby, don't you understand? I want to be your nasty man, which has a connection to the last song that was in the, the top songs of May of 93, and that is Janet Jackson, Miss Jackson, if you're nasty, the way love yeah. goes. Yeah, that makes sense. Like a moth to a flame burned by the fire. My love is blind, can't you see my desire? That's the way love goes. So basically, those are your top three songs for May of 1993. As the great Adrian Cronauer once said, it ain't no good if it's nice if you're the lady, but it ain't no good if you're in the jungle. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there you go. All so right. that one I do remember, and I remember about as much of that song as you played. I usually probably turn it off at that point. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, before was, we before we get on in into the, the uh, trivia for right. this movie, I'm going to introduce Jeffrey because Jeffrey Mazuka just came on. 
Hi. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Hi, Jeff. Hi, everyone. We got the whole gang in the line of fire here. Oh, boy. There we go. Hey, John, real quick, two more sports things for 93 May. Yeah, do it. Ayrton Senna won a record sixth Monaco Grand Prix, and Emerson Fittipaldi representing Brazil for both these guys, Emo and Ayrton Senna. Emerson Fittipaldi won his second Indianapolis 500. So there's a couple little sports sports references for 93. Excellent. Now, there's a name I hadn't heard in a long time, Emerson Fittipaldi. That's crazy. Right? Wow. All right, our next section is Trivia Pursuits. This is the information on the movie for those of you that love to do a little deep dive on your movies here. So this one, again, In the Line of Fire, came out on July 9th, 93, a rating of R, a runtime of two hours and eight minutes, directed by Wolfgang Peterson, who did Das Boot and Air Force One. Writer was Jeff McGuire, who did Ghost Writer, not Ghost Writer, but Ghost Writer in 2010, Resurrecting the Champ. Producers were Jeff Apple and Gail Katz. They did Beavis and Butthead, Do America, and The Perfect Storm. Composer was Ennio Morricone, did The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and The Mission. Cinematographer was John Bailey, who did Ordinary People and The Big Chill. Editor was Ann Coates, who did Lawrence of Arabia and The Elephant Man. The production company was Castle Rock Entertainment, that has also done Shawshank Redemption, A Few Good Men, and When Harry Met Sally. Budget was $40 million. Box office was $176.9 million. Cinema score for this one was an A. Flickmetrics is a 73%. Clint Eastwood is Frank Horrigan. He was in Dirty Harry and Unforgiven. John Malkovich was Mitch Leary. He was in Dangerous Liaisons and Being John Malkovich. Renee Russo was Lily Raines. She was in Lethal Weapon 3 and The Thomas Crown Affair. Dylan McDermott was Al D'Andrea. He was in Olympus Has Fallen and The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Gary Cole was Bill Watts. He was in Office Space and Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Fred Dalton Thompson was, uh, he died in 2015. He was White House Chief of Staff Harry Sargent. He was in Die Hard 2 and The Hunt for Red October. John Mahoney played Sam Campagna. He was in Say Anything and Barton Fink. Clyde Kusatsu was FBI agent Jack Okura. He was in The Interpreter and Rising Sun. Patrick Adarbo played Pam. She was in Rango and Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And John Hurd was Professor Riger. He was in Home Alone and Big. All right, got some trivia stuff for you here real quick. This movie was directed by Wolfgang Peterson, who also is known for having directed movies Das Boot and Air Force One, as we mentioned. Clint Eastwood was in this movie at 62 years old at the time of filming and did many of his own stunts. So we kind of already talked about that, about how he really kind of looked ancient already in this movie and then looking back and going, oh, wait, this movie came out 30 years ago. That's kind of crazy. This supposedly his character was based on a real life Secret Service agent who served under President John F. Kennedy and was present during his assassination. Uh, the movie's script was written in the 70s, but it took nearly 20 years to make. The scene, this was kind of a fun one. The scene where John Malkovich's character fires a rocket launcher at the presidential motorcade was filmed in downtown Los Angeles. Uh, the movie's title, In the Line of Fire, was a reference to the Secret Service's motto, which is willingly in the line of fire. And then a couple of fun connections here. Clint Eastwood and Rene Russo, who played the love interest, went on to star in two more movies together. They were in Absolute Power and Space Cowboys. And then actor Dylan McDermott was one of the Secret Service agents in the movie. He played a role in the TV series The Practice, which was created by David Kelly, who wrote the screenplay for In the Line of Fire. He was great in The Practice. That was a great yeah. show. I don't know if you guys ever watched The I Practice. I did. Not, not like from yeah. beginning to end, but I, I saw several episodes, and I always remember liking them. 
a lot of the David Kelly stuff is good. Yeah. Boston, oh, what was it? The, oh, the one Boston with legal? The, no, the one in, in the school, Boston Public. Boston Public, yeah. yeah. Boston Public, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was yeah. a really good one, too. I watched, we watched that, yeah. yeah. All right, we're going to play some trailer audio here for you. But before that, in a world where the president's life is constantly under threat, one man stands between the commander-in-chief and danger. Clint Eastwood stars as Frank Horrigan, a veteran Secret Service agent haunted by his failure to save President Kennedy. But when a cunning assassin, played by John Malkovich, begins targeting the president, Horrigan must put his personal demons aside and use his years of experience to stop the threat. With pulse-pounding action, heart-pumping suspense, and a love story that will melt your heart, Maybe. In the line of fire is a thriller that will leave you on the edge of your seat until the very end. Three shots have been fired at President John Kennedy's motorcade. It was his job to safeguard the destiny of a nation. But at the critical moment, he was a split second too late. Now, after a lifetime of second thoughts, and second guesses, Secret Service agent Frank Horrigan is about to get a second chance. Yeah. Frank Horrigan? Yeah. I've read about you, seen photos. You were JFK's favorite. Dallas. What happened to you that day? And this time, he'll be ready. I see you, Frank. I see you standing over the grave of another dead president. That's not gonna happen. Clint Eastwood. In the line of fire. All right, so some major moments for this one. I've, I've kind of summed up this movie in about 10 major moments here. I'm going to run through these real quick. This section is where we run through the plot for you. If you haven't seen the movie or haven't seen the movie recently, this is just a, a quick reminder or refresher of what the movie is about. And so we'll run through this, and then we will get on into our deeper thoughts and opinions. All right, so number one. Beginning of the movie, we start with Frank Horrigan and Al Deandra meeting with members of a counterfeiting group, and they end up arresting the group's leader. This is kind of a, a bit of a cold open to the movie here, and immediately, immediately the suspense starts up. I mean, you kind of, I was worried there for a second, like, is he going to shoot the dude in the head? Yikes, this, is, uh, this escalated really quickly. Horgan investigates a complaint about an absent tenant and finds a collage of photos and articles on assassinations, and he discovers that, having been the only remaining agent who guarded JFK on the day he was assassinated, you know, this is always, this is something that has caused him to be racked with guilt. You know, I think, I think he, he was feeling like if he had just gone forward and to the right, forward and to the right, then everything would have been okay, forward and to the right. Horrigan starts receiving phone calls from a man named Booth who plans to assassinate the current president of the United States. Horrigan kind of gets himself back into the, the Secret Service, the Presidential Protection Division. And this is about the time he also, we get some great scenes here with like John Mahoney and Rene Russo gets introduced. And, and you know, the even the, the actors and characters who show up in this movie for like a handful of minutes, their characters are awesome in this movie. Like, I love how they're kind of, they play a little prank on him later on and, 
and just the the camaraderie in these sections of the movie. It's like there's not a there's not a wasted performance in this movie. Even these little side characters, like they they don't get much time, but you know, I don't know that I've seen John Mahoney in anything that I didn't enjoy. So this is also about the time when he kind of tries to start up a relationship. It doesn't really happen until later, but he tries to start that relationship with his fellow agent, Lily Raines, played by Rene Russo. And this is, uh, as we'll see as the movie goes on, this is a real May, next December kind of romance. So there's a, a bit of an age gap there. If she looks back, that means she's interested. Come on now, give me a little look. A little glance back. Give me that smug look and be on your way. I don't know. Did that? Did the age gap between the two of them bother anybody? Mm-hmm. No. You no, think really. it's yeah. just such a common trope now? We don't yeah. even notice it anymore. Yeah. I did think. And, oh yeah, go ahead. And how how old is Rene Russo in this one? That's a good question. She is. I was born in fifty-four. Okay, she would have been thirty-nine at the time. So close to forty. So I think, like, as you get older, I think the age gap thing is not as. Yeah. Once you start get, if it was, if she was twenty and he was, then that's then that's definitely a little bit more. Yeah. But like forty, she's she's almost forty years old in that movie. Let's the character could be in her forties. Because we don't know what the character is actually playing as. Is right. she playing younger or older? But it, I took her as like, I would have guessed late 30s, early 40s. So that was about right. Yeah. And he said, that, that, hey, and it gives, gives me hope. Yeah. So anyway. Dennis, there's always hope for you. <laughs> Guys, don't, I don't know if Dennis can see you because he's driving right now. But don't shake your heads. That wasn't very nice. <laughs> 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 So we get a scene, we get some scenes where Leary, as the killer, is is trying to lay the groundwork for his plan to assassinate the president. He follows the the lady from the bank home, ends up killing, I think it's Sally and Pam are the two women. He ends up brutally murdering them, probably apparently because he really hates Minnesota. That's what I took away from that scene, is he just has this just burning desire. He just hates Minnesota. I, Why'd you have to be from Minneapolis? I know. Uh, it's probably because I want to say like until five or six years ago that you couldn't buy alcohol on Sunday in Minnesota. Mm. So that's probably what it was. That's at least that's my guess. Definitely worth killing over. Exactly. Exactly. Booth continues to call Horrigan, kind of mocking him, leaving him clues. They match some prints left by him to the CIA, but they, they're not going to reveal the identity to the Secret Service. Horrigan and DeAndre follow a lead where they kind of discover that Leary is a former CIA assassin seeking revenge. Leary, in the one of the chase scenes where, like I said earlier, I just, jumping over the fences and everything else, I just, I wanted, I wanted Clint to be able to just go take a nap. Like, I felt bad for the guy, like having to run and getting winded, and I mean, I, I feel his pain, literally, sometimes. But, you know, the, the dramatic scene of them hanging off the roof and, Leary ends up killing his partner, saves Horgan from falling to his death. Horgan ends up eventually connecting Leary to the bank employee's murder and then figures out that he is one of the guests at the campaign dinner where the president is going to be. He gets there just in time to jump in front of Leary's bullet in, in a pretty fancy little gun that Leary had put together. I thought that was kind of a nice detail in the movie you know, to kind of show how he was going to get that through security and how he would put it together and kind of tested it out. 
but Horgan jumps in front of that bullet, saving the president's life. He was wearing a bulletproof vest, so he's okay. Then there's a little bit of chaos at the campaign dinner. Everybody goes running, goes screaming. Leary ends up taking Frank hostage. They end up in the elevator. There's a little bit of an elevator fight there. Not quite as dramatic as the Captain America Civil War elevator fight or, or, or Winter Soldier fight in that movie. And at the end of the elevator fight, Leary ends up performing a move that we can only, troll the, only call the triple Gruber off the high-rise elevator as he goes falling to his death there. And then finally, we end the movie. He and Reigns find a farewell message from Leary on Horrigan's answering machine, and ultimately he ends up retiring. That's it. He's done. He can't go undercover anymore, thanks to the media plastering his face all over the place. And I think Agent Reigns is just ready for that sweet, sweet life assurance payment that's going to be coming fairly soon. So that is the major moments for the movie. I think it's time to get into some deeper thoughts. And now, Deep Thoughts. I have an opinion on this matter. Don't mince words, Bones. What do you really think? I like it a lot. Wow. It's, it's very deep. Thank you. All right. I am going to, I'm going to start with our usual question, which is, do you like this movie and, and when was the first time you saw it? But I have one question I, I definitely have to ask. So I, I'll get through that part and then we'll get to this question. But I have a question I've, I've been curious to ask you guys ever since seeing this one. So let's start with the usual. Did you like this movie and when was the first time you saw it? I may have seen this when it came out. I don't know if we went to the theater or caught it on HBO, but yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. Saw it in 90, saw, I saw it when it came out at the theater with family members. My dad was a big Clint Eastwood fan. So, yeah, and, yeah, I loved it, actually. I think it's a great movie. I think for, what is, for the type of movie it is, it's like one of those kind of perfect action movies. Now, I just want to bring up one thing about the trailer, and that's what was kind of cool. I don't, I, this did pretty well at the box office, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. When you played that trailer at the beginning, I just thought, like, it doesn't, it, and again, I'm not seeing, I haven't seen the trailer recently, but I, what I heard from what you said, it doesn't go too crazy. It's pretty much Clint Eastwood, assassination, it just, they just give you the basic setup, and that's all you need to know, and you're going to the theater to see that movie. They didn't really need to oversell it, was my point. Clint Eastwood, Malkovich, here's what it's about. But yeah, everything you're you guys there. are saying, Clint Eastwood like is great, and... I just, I remember it as, oh, wow, kind of like Clinton, kind of like the idea of the aging action star and then, you know, like tied to the whole Kennedy assassination thing. And and so that's kind of what I remember hearing about this movie. But like we said before, now with the perspective of an additional 30 years of Clint Eastwood's body of work, he, he doesn't look that old in this movie. Yeah, okay, so comparatively to other people and, and other action stars and so on and so forth. But I mean, like, man, he, he looks good jumping over fences and hanging off buildings and jumping on roofs and, and running next to the cars. And I don't care what age you are, like, you know, like running next to a car like that and a suit and all those types of things that, that isn't easy. So yeah, great movie. I don't remember the first time that I saw this, but I've, I know I've seen it many times i really like this movie i think it's a lot of fun i know i didn't see it in the theater probably maybe college i i caught it somewhere someone probably said you should really watch this but yeah it's, this is one I'll, I'll 
I'll watch more often than I realize I watch now that I really think about it. I think it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy John Malkovich's performance in this movie. Yeah. I mean, he's just as a villain and there at one point he just like the switch gets triggered in him and he just turns into a very frightening individual. Like you're just like, what, wow. At what lengths is he really going to go to, to achieve his goal? I think it's when he starts yelling at, at Frank over the phone. Like, it's just like, wow, he just, he's really just somewhere else in his mind. He's truly unhinged, even for a, a, a stalker assassin. You know, he, he was pretty well composed throughout most of the movies. So like, so when he hits that point where he's just completely loses it, it's, it's frightening. It is a scary moment. I was going to say this was the first time I had seen this movie. As I was watching wow. it, there were a couple scenes here and there where I was like, nah, I, I've seen this before, but there was a lot that I didn't remember. So I don't recall when I saw it. And there, yeah, so I, I might have caught it on TV one time, and maybe I was kind of coming in and out and doing other stuff while it was on. But there were a couple scenes here and there that I recognized. But other than that, I was like, nope, I haven't, I haven't seen this movie from start to finish. Really enjoyed it. Like, it's like the whole, just the, the tension keeps you hooked the whole time. And that's going to lead me into the question that I wanted to ask you guys. And, Jeff, you started to talk about it. My question is basically this. John Malkovich, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean... He's he's a talented, talented man. I remember this was the first movie where I was like, damn. <laughs> that guy can freak anybody out doing anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. And That's he's got a, else, he's, he's got such a, such a skill of being able to go back and forth. Because there's scenes in this movie where if you didn't know he was the killer, he's like he seems such like such a nice guy, and he's it's very he, like you could have a conversation with him, and and uh, it'd be okay. And but no, then he's gonna like stab you in the throat, or just break your neck, or just break yeah. your neck, or stuff like that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's as as a villain is just chilling. But I mean, he he's such a, trem- a tremendous talent when you when you look at like a lot of his body of work. Look at him in Of Mice and Men. Uh huh. Holy crap! What a talented, talented actor. Like he really he really understands the characters that he's supposed to portray, right? Even in something as silly as Con Air. Mm-hmm. Like he really gets inside the head of Cyrus the virus in Con Air. Like he's he he just he understands the characters and the ex- expectations of the characters for whatever story he's telling. So another question I had about this movie is there was a lot of a lot of time spent kind of talking about Frank's guilt over his failure to protect JFK. Now there were a few times as I was watching it, and and again I don't know that I can. I've only watched it the one time, so I don't know that I can give too much of an opinion on this, but when I got done watching it, I, there were times where, for a moment, I forgot a little bit about his whole motivation of, of the guilt behind losing JFK. And I was like, I, I wish the movie maybe had done a little bit more. It would have had to do flashbacks, 
but I, there were times where I wanted a little bit more of that. Do you feel like with this movie, do you feel like it balanced all the things that it needed to balance to be this kind of this this crime thriller of trying to track down the killer, trying to break the clues, you know, figure out what's going on, figure out when he's going to strike, but also the kind of the, the internal struggle of Frank's character and all that. For me watching it, like, and that's not a knock necessarily on the movie, it's just watching it coming away from it, I'm like, I, I feel like I could have done with a little bit more, if you wanted to add a few minutes to the movie and do a little bit more of kind of the backstory of him as a younger Secret Service agent and kind of his guilt over that, that was the only thing I kind of felt like I wanted a little bit more from the movie, but it didn't, it didn't really detract from the movie at all. I think the movie could have offered a little bit more of that, maybe explaining why why Leary was targeting Frank mm-hmm. out of all the Secret Service agents. What was it about Frank that like that became his sights? You know, and and maybe bring, doing more to bring up the fact, yeah, but you know what? I'm I'm choosing you because you've been there. And you, you done screwed up the first time, which is a question I have is like, if you so profoundly messed up the first time, I can't imagine the secret service would actually give you an opportunity to protect a president again. Yeah. Wow. It is an action movie. Right. You probably have to. It's Hollywood, but like when you think yeah. about it, if he was if he was there and he didn't respond the way he was supposed to in protecting JFK, I can't imagine that this the Secret Service would be like, no, "All right, for old time's sake, we'll assign you to the president again." But I think that the situation, like that's his guilt of his own guilt and our own judgment of that. But really, did anybody react to that? Can anybody really? Re- was there really a right way to react to that? I mean, I think it was more of one of those things of I wish I could have done it differently, but no matter what you do, hindsight is always going to be, you know, oh, I screwed up and he has that guilt. I don't think that they would have judged him as a, like the duty of a, of a, of a secret service. Like there wasn't anything protocol-wise that I think that they would have crucified him and said, you really blew this. That was that at was least the impression. Thing. That was the impression definitely the impression was, they wanted that, you to have. Yeah. Yes. Like, I don't feel like there was anything like, the way it's even explained is like it, it's more in his head, like of what he. I wish I could have done something like that kind of thing versus, hey, I really screwed this up and didn't do this when I should have done that, and I really violated the Secret Service agent protocol. And I don't think he did any of those things. So I think from a from a professional standpoint, it's a highly stressful situation, and I think that it was just kind of like, I think it's just a nice little backdrop. Why he targeted him? Because I think John was he, he's the last one alive, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, I think that's why. So that's, like we that's we why get we that. get that, but again, back to John's question of oh, whatever John's question was, I don't even remember anymore about but, about his guilt and like how much time gets spent on folks. It's been one of those years. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, overall, I think it's, like, it's they, they could have nice done more with the story. I don't think it's... They they could have done more with the story to keep kind of refreshing our minds about that. So that, that we, we understand why Frank is struggling to make decisions or why he's pushing so hard to do things or see things happen or pushing so hard to make things happen. I don't know. I, the way I took it again is I, don't, I, don't, I, I think it just sets up the story 
It gives you enough of what you need. And, and really the whole story now is currently about this president and about this time and this situation and not getting too much into exploring what happened in the past. I think you just needed that kind of slight backstory. I don't think you need to develop it that much to go into it. That was just my take on it. So I didn't feel like it was lacking the way I saw it, but I could see, I, I could see your point. I just, I thought it worked very well without going too much into that. Yeah, but if it's yeah, if it's, it's about Horrigan, then is it more about is the story more about him redeeming himself by catching this guy? I think it is more about him redeeming. Yeah, redeeming himself. Yeah, maybe yeah. if there was a little backstory of of Horrigan having attempted to catch others in in a redemptive spirit, but still not succeeding, and knowing like he's at the end of his career. And he's got one more chance to right his own personal wrong. Like maybe that would have been a good angle to take it from. That could be but like could giving be. us like he either through flashbacks or, or other dialogue where we learn that he's, he's tried to redeem himself in his own mind by going after other, other threats and not being able to, to seal the deal. Maybe that would have been a different angle to take on that. So we can see why he's so focused on getting leery, why this is so personal for him and why he can't accept the fact that his, that the higher ups are telling him, no, you're done. Well, to me, it's because Leary called him out on it and, and knew it. And it's like, if he doesn't say anything, he's just trying to kill a president, you know, like that's bad enough. And then that's in, in, in his mind, but the Met, he pretty much called him out. Like you screwed up before and said, you, what was that like? What was it like? You, you blew it. So he personally like puts that dig in there. And that's why I think, I don't think you need to, I, I just didn't think you need to go too much more into that. So I think it justified the behavior, but at least, yeah, that's the way, that's the way I perceived it. But, so another question for you because we talked a little bit about Clint Eastwood's age and you know how in this one he's he's already what do we say 63 when he's playing this character I had read in a couple of different places that some folks kind of consider this as being his last great action movie that he was in like after this any of the other movies he's in not as good as in the line of fire in the same way that you could kind of say that Unforgiven was his farewell to the western genre that this movie for him was kind of his last great action movie now you do have coming up in the 90s i mean you've got what are the ones there's like absolute power true crime but that's kind of it when it comes to him acting in a like a, a crime drama action movie type thing otherwise it's it's stuff like million dollar baby space cowboys grand torino bridges of madison county so I don't know. Would would you agree with that? This is kind of the end of him as an action star. And if so, is it a good farewell for him as an action star? I would definitely say if it is, it's a great a great end to as an action star. I don't know. I don't. I'm trying. I'm gonna try to think. Yeah, what's after this? What he did? Look at that. But because around this yeah, time I mean, in in like 1990, he did he did the rookie, then he did Unforgiven, then he did In the Line of Fire. Then there's A Perfect World, Bridges of Madison County, Absolute Power, True Crime, Space Cowboys, Bloodwork, Million Dollar Baby, Grand Torino, Trouble with the Curve. Um, yeah, that's... Yeah, this, this seems like it was his last action-type film. Yeah. 
for sure. Out of, out of that list, I, I, a lot of them are a lot, like, especially the older he got, a lot more of a character study than anything right. else. You know, and I was talking with Pat about this earlier, just for a little bit, just touching on the idea that maybe Eastwood himself was almost a little too old to pull off some of the action required for this movie. Now, a lot of it worked out because he was older and they needed to show the fact that he was an older agent and not able to not able to move as well as he used to when he was a younger agent. But Eastwood himself, I think, there were parts I'm watching, I'm just like, just, even some of his delivery of lines just seemed a bit strained for him. So I'm just wondering if maybe some of the action stuff was a little bit a little bit past him by the time he did this movie. Now, if this is going to be his last action film, it's a great one to go out on. And he did overall, he did a really great job with it. It's a really strong character. You know, he, you're definitely believing his, his drive and his motivation. You know, he, you, you want, you want to see him succeed. You care a lot about this character, but yeah, for a final action film, I think you could definitely say that this was his his final action one. I hear the I hear the discussion. I hear the, the, the points of view and everything. And I think the, listening to it, I think that the discussion just kind of comes down from how are you approaching the movie. If you're approaching the movie as a character study, then it's easy to say, "Man, I wish they would have delved more into you know his psycholo- where he was psychologically after the Kennedy assassination, where he was." you know, what he was doing. Did he get reassigned? Was it a self-punishment? Was it him being punished by the secret service and so forth? If you're coming at it from an action movie where the Kennedy assassination just kind of played the backdrop for his character's motivation, then I think this provided you kind of everything you, you really needed to understand what his motivation was. And I really, I gotta be honest, the thing that kind of brought it home was his monologue when he was sitting there in the hotel room and he starts talking about what that day was like and how he froze and how he wishes he could have gone back and done something different and, and all of those pieces. And again, I I think I, for me, I don't think there's any right or wrong or, or yay or nay, good or bad, or however you want to throw it. I think it's just, how do you approach the movie? If you're approaching it as an action movie or if you're approaching it as a, as a character study, you know, I think you're going to see, was there enough of that backstory or was there plenty of that backstory? I really liked the movie and I might've repeated myself. I can't remember Jeff, whether this was a discussion we had or whether this was something I said earlier in the pod and I apologize, but I, 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 I like watching him. I liked watching, I liked watching Clint Eastwood. I, for me, it really worked. I liked his character and I also liked Clint Eastwood doing his thing. And, and yeah, there were times that he got winded and there were times that, he's jumping over fences and all that, but you know, it's jumping over fences, jumping on roofs, all that. That's not easy. And I like the way that they had it written and the way he delivered it when he was just like, this is all window dressing. Oh, well, you're just saying that because you can't do it. Well, no, like what, what's the benefit of having people running alongside of bulletproof, bombproof, explosive proof limo. It's for show. Most of what we do is for show. And, And I think even that discussion comes on a, on a, (laughs) <laughs> on a borderline thing where he's making some claims, pretty, pretty problematic claims about having female agents. But then he kind of brings it all home and saying, this is like everything we do is about is for show. 
And it's kind of, it was like, oh, well, that's kind of, a, that's kind of an interesting point. So I, I thought that, yeah, you kind of get, okay, so Clint Eastwood was in his 60s and he's not doing something that a 23-year-old could do. But in the same token, he also brought in a perspective that you maybe don't necessarily have until you're, you've spent enough time in a certain profession. And then you can kind of like, well, look, here's, here's the truth behind it. This is, this is unimportant. You know, we don't, this is kind of window dressing. So I, yeah, I, it was kind of all just my thoughts on the, on the, on, on the film and Clint Eastwood. I, I love watching Clint Eastwood on film. I love watching him in this one. And I, I think the, like I said, I think the back and forth about the backstory just simply comes down to a perspective of from what point of view are you taking in this movie? Yeah. And I think it's that, you know, I look at it as an action film too. I mean, I don't need the full, like, I think it has enough of that. And I think the part where you're saying he's out of breath, that's, 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 are you going to give up somebody who's got experience and intelligence? I think if it's a question with police officers too, where do you balance? You might have younger guys who are more fresh, and can run this in that amount of time, but can they, and don't get tired, but do they have the, the brains to go along with that? No. So I think that's a big question with anything. Police officers, secret service agents, anybody that's in that kind of line of duty is where do you value the experience that comes with it? And where do you say you're too old for this? That's probably a fine line. So I think it's great. I think it was funny showing the, the struggle with all that in a way. I mean, not funny, but I mean, that's realistic. It added to it. That, that's what would be happening. And, and, and some cheesy Clint Eastwood lines. I think every film in Clint Eastwood has some, some of those deliveries, but yeah. I just like the part when he says, he says something about the look and the gal was, it, it, Renee Russo asked him something and he does like the Clint Eastwood dirty, hairy esque look. And you just have to yeah. give him a look and it froze. And I'm like, you just have to look him in the eyes. You just have to look him in the eyes and they have that. And he froze and I was like, Oh man, that's, that's pretty sweet, man. He's like, that's like, that's not just like Frank Horrigan trying to look tough. That's like Clint Eastwood saying, I still got it. I mean, I, I'm like, that's, that was pretty yeah. cool. That was pretty yeah. cool. And again, I think perspective on a lot of these things too is like what, what Pat's saying as well, but it's just, I think for me, there's that nostalgia effect of seeing it back then. Clint Eastwood was a favorite of my dad's, our whole family. Like I've, I've always loved Clint Eastwood movies. And, and, you know, if I saw it now and it was the first time I maybe saw it, or if I saw it just more recently only and not seen it before, yeah, it might be different in the way I kind of, you know, break it apart, I guess. But, but back I then I just remember good time, good family time, great movie, man. Yeah. Good, not disappointed at all. I mean, it was a, a big hit. And, and you, you like, when we've, we've seen, we, we, it's funny because, you know, we see this in movies, like whoever the aging, and this maybe is getting into one of our, one of our questions at the end, but like how many times do you see that where, whether it's Obi-Wan Kenobi or James Bond in some of the later Daniel Craig ones or whatever is like the, the, the aged warrior, the aged hero, and how do they cope with the change? And sometimes that's acted sometimes, you know what I'm saying? So I think that's, that's like a, that's like a common thread that we, that we see in movies. And uh, like I said, I think good on Clint Eastwood for being able to bring that. And, and again, into his nineties, still putting films out there and that like, we all want to go see, you know what I'm saying? We want to see him on screen. And uh, yeah, we, we know, call that the, we call that the Murtaugh factor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And if yeah. this is if this is one of those transitional films from one to the like, that's people can discuss all that. But I mean, yeah, it's 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 a great film, and it's great watching him. It's great watching him on screen. Well, Pat, as you mentioned, this is starting to lean into one of our three questions, which we're going to get to here in just a couple minutes. But very quickly, I have kind of one last question. If you guys have anything else you want to bring up, you can. But my kind of last question to sum things up on this one is, what is it about this movie? If you had to mention one thing, what is it about this movie that really works for you? Like, what is, if you've seen this multiple times, why do you keep coming back to it? What is the one thing that works for you in this movie? John Malkovich. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I'm never going to tire of his performance in this movie. Yeah, Frank, don't f***ing lie to me. I have a rendezvous with death. Oh, and so does the president. And so do you, Frank, if you get too close to me. You have a rendezvous with my ass, mother I'm just going to say, you said one thing. I'm going to just say cast to cover all that. So okay. just like you mentioned earlier, John, with all the, all the little parts that other people had, they weren't big parts, but they were in it. The Mahoney, like, it's just a great cast. So I'm just going to say cast. You just Jeff Mazuka that question by adding more cells to the spreadsheet. <laughs> hey, well done. <laughs> Dennis, I don't even know how to do that sound drop. I think it's something like, Dennis just Jeff Mazuka'd your question. Yeah, you need to work on that. They need to be there. <laughs> I, 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 I was going to say Clint Eastwood, but De- Dennis just kind of covered it all. And I mean, what you guys said about John Malkovich, I, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll actually not be long-winded. What you guys said works for me. I was going to say John Malkovich, but thankfully others did already, so I can now say something else. I think what I really enjoyed about this movie was I love the phone conversations that John Malkovich mm-hmm. and Clint Eastwood are having, and I love just his little comment. He is just, he could really care less, or he <laughs> makes it seem like he could really care less on the phone. He's like, ah, no, I don't, you know. Yeah, I'm. I'm. You have what it takes to take a bullet. He's like, I'll be thinking about that when I'm pissing on your grave. It just his little, like the, the little comebacks. And the... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's like, you have a rendezvous. I'm not going to finish that line, but. And Clint, again, Clint Eastwood makes it sound like he's. It doesn't make it sound like he's delivering a line. No. Right. No, like you just, believe it, which is the whole just, point of being just, an actor. He's just too old for this stuff. Yeah, he's still, right. he doesn't have enough time left to to suffer fools. Yeah, but that's that's it right there. Like that's when Dennis says the cast. John, you guys said John Malkovich and all that. Like you believe what they're saying, and that's the entertainment. That's the difference between them doing it or Pat Cannigallo doing it. Yeah. You know, Pat Cannigallo saying that's not in my lesson plan, Moto, and why it just sounds so laughable is like <laughs> even though we're just talking to that, these guys are delivering these lines that are like, yeah, okay, I believe it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, Pat, when you told that kid that you were going to think about things when you were pissing on his grave. <laughs> it's amazing oh, how no. that didn't Class go well. Right? Oh, you know. no. Yeah. No, no. Oh, no. Class dismissed. That's the line. <laughs> yeah. That's your Clint Eastwood line. There you go. That's my Clint Eastwood line. Well, that's that's the thing. Is like I know we got some people on the pod that have done voice work and acting and all that kind of stuff, but just delivering a line, I couldn't deliver a line to act to save my life. I, I just, I can't, I don't care how many times I could practice or say a lot. I mean, that stuff's not easy. And then you, you look at these movies and you got these characters that are just so, whether they're iconic or like we talked about how John Malkovich, just my gosh, everything he gets in, it's a, that that's a level of talent that I just, 
I, I can't even like comprehend. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's just, it's all pretty darn impressive to me. How much of this shit do I have to listen to? All right, gents. I think it's time for three questions. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, question number one. What is your favorite action movie featuring an old man as the protagonist? What do you mean by old? <laughs> yeah. Where the story seems to feature kind of a Murtaugh factor. Well, I, you okay. said it, so I'm going to say it. Lethal Weapon 2. Okay. I mean, the scene with Murtaugh on the toilet mm-hmm. and Reeves right there. That's the whole thing mm-hmm. for me. Love that movie. It's time to see it again, actually. There you go. <laughs> I have one, but I don't want to steal it from Pat in case that's his answer. Because I think no, could, you go ahead. I think it could be. You your go answer. ahead. It could be. All right, you go ahead. Now, if this is your answer, I, I have another one as a backup. But uh, my answer, just because I watched it again pretty recently, was Logan. Mm. Awesome. Good one. Awesome choice. I do. I do awesome choice. In fact, I've I've now. I watched it again recently, so I've now seen that one at least five or six times, and it it keep you know, to paraphrase Beetlejuice, it keeps getting better every single time I see it. Yeah. He, 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 spoilers, spoilers for Logan, but you got those kids through. No. Do, do you remember when we were watching the trailer for that, and I was watching the trailer like just about like like every ten minutes I'd watch that trailer again, and I came in, I'm like John, John. I think she's carrying a dude's head. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think she's carrying a dude's head, Pat. I'm like, I think it looks like a dude's head, John. I don't know. Do you think it's a, it might be a dude's head? And then we watched the movie and we're like, holy cow, she's carrying a dude's head. I think it reached the point where you incepted yourself and you were watching the trailer while you were watching the trailer. <laughs> I think so. Oh, what a great movie that was. Yeah, I don't think now I went I mean, to go I, see I, that with you in the theater because I didn't feel like sitting next to somebody <laughs> taking a nap. I know, I know. Speaking speak oh, of old man. Gosh. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay, John coming out of the gate with an awesome choice. There you go. Who else? Who else is? Who else has an old old man? An old man rope? I think, like this movie and The Fugitive aside, I think those would be the easy answers. I might go with Taken. Ah, that's good. I've got one more as a follow up depending on how others answer the question. But I might have to go with Taken. Nice. That's a good one. An interesting question because, like, you could potentially say Captain America or the Winter Soldier, technically old men, right? You know, so, but I get where you're saying the spirit of the question is the idea of an aged person right and also in my in my thinking about it like one of my favorite stars tom cruise i was i was just looking for a sake of comparison tom cruise is the same age 
same age now that Clint Eastwood was when he filmed this movie. Ah, yeah. So I'm just like... So for Top Gun, right? Pardon me? Would you say for Top Gun then, or are you going to go with the Mission Impossible one? Well, see, see, here's the thing. is like, does that, like, okay, well, there's a person that's older, still busting a move and all that, just like I think Clint Eastwood did. But I don't think that, I don't know how much that factors in. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't know that that necessarily factors into the movie as, you know, was Tom Cruise at any point in Top Gun Maverick, like, dude, you're too, too old to do this. I mean, the whole movie, he was mopping the floor with these guys. You know what I'm saying? Does it have to be a question of someone saying or the character thinking that they're too old yeah. to do it? Or is it just a action movie with an older, older person as a protagonist? Right. So that's where I came down. So I just, here's where I went. I went back to one of my other favorites. I went to James Bond and the portrayal in a little bit in Skyfall, but that was more, I think Skyfall was more him just burnt out, but I'd say Skyfall or even, oh shoot. What was the final one? Not that almost said tomorrow no, never no dies. Time to die. so, to, no time to die. I think no time to die could be, could be, would be my go-to, you know, because and I think I think you get that theme of I'm too old for this stuff presenting itself in No Time to Die. Oh, oh, I went first. Oh, did you? Oh yeah, Lethal Weapon too. Who didn't we hear from then? Well, you technically didn't have me, but like then oh. the two that I had, like I would have said this movie, but the question is obviously based on us reviewing this movie, so I think it cancels out. But I would go with this one. And then I would go follow up with, I would have said Taken and Tom Cruise and Top Gun. Okay. Yeah, Top Gun Maverick would have been my, was the other one I was Yeah, thinking. the new one. The, yeah, the new one. Yep. yep. Now, the, another one that I was thinking about, the I just had to look it up. The main actor was 43 when the movie was made. Does that's, that count as old? No, that's not old. Okay, never mind. <laughs> no, 43 is not old at all. Not at all. Not mm-hmm. I don't know. The young, the young lad. Yes. I was thinking of Clive Owen in Shoot 'Em Up. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Pat, you need to see Shoot 'Em Up. Yeah, I know. Pat has Monica not seen Bel- Shoot 'Em Up. Monica Bellucci's in it, Pat. Yeah. I. How have you not seen it, Pat? I I know. I have failed the podcast. Okay. My family, and the world. I failed this city. And this city, yeah. My backup was High Noon. Yeah, I don't feel like he's supposed to be ridiculously old, but he just he spends most of the movie just being kind of tired and just being kind of like exhausted so by the fact tired. that he's so tired and just <laughs> exhausted by the fact that nobody's going to help this poor guy out. Yeah, yeah. All right, question number two. What is the most interesting historical assassination or attempt, in your opinion? Kennedy. There's just so much going on there. And it, it's one of those things. There's so much going on. It's probably nothing. Mm-hmm. But because of all the mystery and the shroudedness of it all, we're never going to know. And it's just one of those things. Yeah. I'm going to go with when you say, so you mean for us, not like if we were to objectively look at this, correct? 
I mean, I, when I say most interesting, you're saying if I go objectively, we're making a different argument about which is the most important assassination. But yeah, in which, my one's, life, which one's the most interesting? I'm thinking to you. more like in my mind, I gotta say Reagan. I saw that that was plastered all over the place. I saw that footage from different angles. You saw Brady on the ground with the bolt in the head. I mean, it was just for me as a what was that? Probably what year was that actually happened? Was that eighty one or something? What was that? One, I think it was. Yeah, I, I maybe eighty three. I don't. But either way, I was like in middle school, and and that was just you didn't see that. We didn't have the internet. You didn't have so when this was just on TV, and you saw that footage played over, and they were trying to break it down, and you saw all the coverage of it. It was just a very big event for me. So in my time, in my life period, I had like, wow, this is like, Oh my God, secret service guys. You know, you really started to realize what they were and how they protected him and jumped all over him and they put him in the car, you know? So for me, I could still see that video in my head. Like I don't even have to watch the video. It's already imprinted in my head. So I would say for me personally, the most important or what it would be of my lifetime would be the, the Reagan one. But I would agree with Bo that I think historically the mysteriousness around it, all that would be Kennedy. I think Kennedy is definitely the a, a very strong answer, a very obvious answer. The other one I'd go with is Lincoln and just the bigger conspiracy around Lincoln's assassination and the mm-hmm. the the bigger plan around his assassination. And once you start looking at who all was involved and who all was supposed to be assassinated that night and how it played out that or Booth's part, how close he got and how he was able to to make his way into the theater and all that. It's just a really fascinating story. Yeah, they were trying to, that was basically, they were going to try to take out the executive branch that night, right? Yeah. I mean. Uh, he and the vice president and. Chief of staff. Secretary of war, I believe. Okay. Yeah, chief of staff. I don't know if there would have been a chief. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean. Just a really fascinating story and, and, and all the plotting and, and all that. And and two, the negative impact that had on the whole end of the Civil War and trying to reunite the two, how would that have gone differently historically, right? Like if Lincoln had been alive to help lead that. Oh, Pat, we could have yeah. days, days of conversation about theoretical history. I mean, based on that, like, and I mean, this that is... This is what I talk to my students about all the time too. Is and you know, it's it's always fascinating to have theoret- theoretical history conversations because it helps mm-hmm. really helps us really understand the true history when we start looking at the possibility of what might have been if. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So like, theoretical history is fantastic as a conversation piece. Right. I just wanted to also throw out there, if we're talking a fictional assassination attempt, then the assassination attempt on President Bartlett at the end of season one of West Wing. Spoiler for all you non-West Wing viewers, at the end of season one, there's an assassination attempt on the president. Yeah. We're actually going to go back at some point. We've got a couple shows we're watching right now, but I have that on the list to go back and rewatch. We just started rewatching it yesterday, I think. We just started watching The Americans, which, oddly enough, Dennis, in one of the first episodes of that show, it the assassination attempt on Reagan is prominently featured in one of the first episodes of that show. Mm, okay. I want to say that a lot of what happened, like, I think they said, like, in the limo, 
with Reagan afterward that a lot of that was used to inspire the writing that came up in the West Wing, that there were some parallels to kind of how it was going down and, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, sort of like what you saw with, with in, in the West Wing, I guess I'm making the point. So. All right. My answer, I, my, I'll be pretty quick with mine. My answer is I'm going to go a little bit further back in time and say Julius Caesar. A2 Bruce. Yes. I, whether we're doing the stage play version or whether it's the actual historical version, just the fact that the dude got mobbed by, what was it, 60 people and stabbed 23 times. I saw that one live, too, as well. Did you, I thought you might have. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah. figured I'd throw an old joke because you guys didn't have one this this episode. So yeah, we were trying to we were trying to take it easy on you, but in fact, you went a little defensive on the forty three, so I kind of felt sorry for you. Well, yeah. <laughs> when he said talk about forty three old, and John was like, no, 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 no not at all. all, not not a chance. So, so so yeah, so it's 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 catching up to you guys. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. All right. So then question number three: a little, more, is... a little more hair in the sink. A little more hair in the, in the shower when you're, you know, a little of that stuff happens, and yeah, things things start going south, literally and figuratively. Mercifully, well, it's just gray right now. So, okay, so so, before we follow the shower discussion down the toilet, down the drain, the <laughs> I was it was funny. I was listening to some some Roman history, and I, I can't remember the name of whatever Caesar that they weren't happy with. And it was, it was later on, and it was one of the guys that probably, there might have been some questionable ancestry and too many dips in the gene pool type of situation, and this guy was doing some. Anyways, Rome was not happy with the Caesar. And according to the way this, this historian was telling the story, is this guy kind of woke up and realized all his guards were out of the, the palace, right? And so he knew that th- th- this was not a good sign. He was all by himself. So, so he, what was it? he took off running like he tried to make a break for it, but he was getting chased down by the, I I think it was everybody. It was probably headed by like some senators or whatever and chased by like the army and the guard and everyone had turned on this guy. And so he tried to, he tried to take his own life just so he could escape. And they caught up with him and actually got him and then nursed him back to health just so they could take him out and make it last longer. And that was like, I guess it was the death of a thousand cuts or whatever it was, how they got rid of him. But it was, it was, it was kind of like you mentioned being mobbed with Julius Caesar. It was, and like I said, this was a guy, I think it was a couple hundred years after the Caesar or Julius Caesar and all of them. But it was, yeah, they, they chased the guy down. Oh, you're trying to do it yourself. Nope. Sorry. Let me bring you back to health. Now you're healthy. Now we're going to do it our way. And it's just like, Oh, that's, that's when you know, you're not, that's when you know, you're low in the polls. I thought you were going to talk about Caligula, who got murdered by his own bodyguard. Yeah, that was... We, yeah, we, don't, well, we, don't, we don't need to talk anything about Caligula. This is a family yeah. podcast. Well, you know. that's, that's right. When, when does I, Claudius, come up for review? But uh, no, but the one I was going to mention, like I, I think all the ones you're, uh, you're mentioning are super thought-provoking. The one I, I find interesting is, is the attempt assassination of Adolf Hitler you know, by all his generals and yeah. just all the different attempts they had. And obviously they did the movie. Tom Cruise did the movie. Great movie. Great movie. Um, yeah. And it, it's just, it's just very, it, like any of these historical things, it's just, it's interesting and, and how that came down and what it was. And then obviously like Jeff was saying, theoretical history abounds, right? With that whole, with that whole thing. All right. Question number three, if you were a secret service agent or bodyguard, you know, 
What famous person, dead or alive, would you want to protect and why? I'm going to go first since it was already this person was mentioned, but I, w- I would love to. I would have loved to have gone back and been. I would have been Abraham Lincoln. I wish I could have been there to help protect that. Now you're talking more political. I was going to ask: Is this more political? Because Secret Service agents typically are more political figures, correct? Yeah. So you therefore, can, you can, you can go bodyguard in this one. Security bodyguard. Okay. Yeah, could be bodyguard. All right. All right. Then I would have also added, like, I, I don't know if he had them, but I would have thrown Jackie Robinson in there. I'm just thinking of people I love that I would want to protect who, uh, you know, yeah, maybe Gandhi. Okay. I don't want to get shot, so I'm going to guard somebody that I know nobody's really going to take any shots at. So (laughs) I think it'd just be somebody fun to just kind of hang out with. I'm going to pick Stephen Colbert Mm. because I feel like we could just have some good conversations. I don't think anybody's going to try to shoot him. So that's the one I'm going to go Uh, with. I, I want to be a real low-key Secret Service agent here. Well, you know, John, you're not light on your feet, so. No, there's enough mass the, the, here. The less could... action you, you need to face, the better you're going to be. Yeah, I'm I'm more like, I block the shots because I'm the goalie that's the size of the goal, but. This is a hard question. Yeah. Now I I almost have to reject the question. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna come. <laughs> like I'm like I'm, I'm on the I like, I Because I guess part of it, and I I did I guess reject part of the question because part of the question is if you were if you were sticking with like bodyguard secret service agent, what famous person would you want to protect? Like, part of the question is almost like who would you want to spend time around? Who would you want to get to know? Who would you want? But then also like who'd you be willing to take a bullet for? And that's that's what I was going to say. Your answer was a little bit lame because you set it up with the whole, you know, nobody's going to shoot at this guy. Like, I'm not willing to take a bullet. And yeah. I was going, who would I be willing to take a bullet for? It's going to be somebody really respected, yeah. really admired, really thought was important that you'd lay your life down for the cause type of thing. That's where I come up with Lincoln and I come up with like a Jackie Robinson, what he was doing with all the death threats and stuff that he had. I'm like, I would, those are two. So, uh, yeah, I thought your Stephen Colbert was like, I'm not willing to die for him. I just want to hang out and have a burger with him. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> part of the problem with that is is that there's no, I don't know that there's any famous people I would be willing to take a bullet for. Like, none of my family is Mother famous, Ther- but that's pretty much it. Mother Teresa. Yeah. I think my answer would probably be, my political answer would probably be Lincoln. Okay. Yeah. The impact, like, yeah, on the country and, like, you know. Yeah, I mean, you just, there there was so much ideology going on in his head and and plans for reconstruction that just never saw the light of day because he never had the opportunity. So it would be really interesting if if he could have been protected, what he would have done to continue leading, Mm -hmm. leading the country. My just for fun answer would probably be I have two on very different ends of the spectrum. One would be Sinatra. Hmm. Mm. The other one would be Mr. Rogers. Yeah. That's a good well, one. I, I wouldn't mind being a, being a bodyguard for Mr. Rogers. Yeah. And I, and I think that would be the safest for, that would be the perfect world for John because who the heck is going to attempt to kill Mr. Rogers? Yeah. <clears throat> you know? Yeah, like even the story about whether it's story is true about the person who supposedly stole his car and then found out it was in and returned it. 
No, I wouldn't mind that. I could just be running alongside the trolley in the land of make believe. With puppets. <laughs> well, if you're if you're running, it probably is a land of make believe. <laughs> it is land of make believe. <laughs> All right, rescues. What do you got? What do you got? Oh, jeez. Well, everybody said Lincoln already, and that's that's a good one. I mean, as a Secret Service agent, you know, I. I you talk about all the things they might have accomplished and you start to think about, do, do you, it seems like the easy answer, but do you say Kennedy again? You know, what, what would have changed if we'd had Kennedy instead of LBJ and yeah, I don't know. Maybe Kennedy, you're going to get shot at though. You know that going in. <laughs> Pat, Trump. I think the question Ouch. is hard. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. Scene. Wow. Pat either didn't hear you or he definitely ignored that one. I, Pat has I rejected your question. I think it's a hard question to answer because it's like, what are we answering? Are we answering who I like to hang out and spend time with? Or which person do I care about? living or dead surviving or not, you know, that like, boy, we'd be willing to take a bullet for if I could have been yeah. my, my family, my family, close friends, period done. If I'm going to be a professional bodyguard, then I got to be honest with you. I don't want to get to know the person I'm protecting. I want to get to know their habits. I want to get to know all that kind of stuff, but I don't want to have a personal connection. I don't want to have any of that. Like I, you got to focus on that whole piece. You, you know what I'm saying? That, that would be my mind. Now, obviously, you're asking a pan director, ask an actual bodyguard or se- security person for that whole thing. But if the question is, who am I willing to take a take a bullet for? Which even answering that question would be rather arrogant unless you've actually had bullets flying at you and you know how you're going to respond in that given situation. I'd have to say my family, my close friends, which I count as my family, and, and that would be that, you know. But I think if you were asking, like, from a standpoint of, okay, Same. you're a bodyguard or you're a Secret Service agent, who would you want to protect? I, if I'm starting to think about, oh, man, this person would be cool to hang out with, then I think you're not focusing on what you need to do to effectively do your job. So, Well, I'm, I don't know. I would think that maybe – I know somebody that was a bodyguard and also, you know, security and stuff and did that for, for some famous people and stuff here and there. But I think that – I don't know. I think I would still want to know them. And I'm not talking necessarily like, oh, to hang out and just, like, like not focus. But, like, I think you would want to get to know them, especially if I'm going to be willing to lay my life down for this person. I, I kind of want to make sure that they're kind of worth it. <laughs> you know, I know you're hired as that job, but I think that if you really – got to know somebody and knew they were such a good person. I think that makes that hard part of your job, the willingness to put yourself in the line of fire might be an important factor. And maybe I just wouldn't take clients that I didn't respect, you know? So I know I made the the joke about Trump or something, but if you had a politician that you didn't like or somebody and it's your job, maybe you ask to get reassigned because that I think is what's going to impact you doing your job better is if you really aren't thinking, Hey, if bullets start flying, I'm, I'm, I'm saving this guy. Like, I don't know if you look at it as a job other than somewhat of a, a certain job plus a calling of, I mean, 
like I said, like Abraham Lincoln, we all look at that and we go, we think that's a life worth saving. And I think any life is a life worth saving. But if you got to know him better as a person, as a family man, as a father, as a, I think that makes that jumping in front of them a little bit more likely to happen. Unless if I was like this, or if I, if I was like, this guy's a complete and then I don't know. I, when push came to shove, would I freeze? Would I be like, not worth it? I don't know. And you know, like this job's not worth it. Well, that's, that's, you would have to ask either a bodyguard. And now we're talking about a yeah. private bodyguard. That's, that's okay. I'm, I'm doing this cause this is my slash someone at the secret service that obviously you're getting paid to do it, but then you're, yeah. you're taking an oath. I mean, you can even expand that to people that serve in the military. They, they take an oath towards to the constitution. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. It's not a, like there's there's an above my my understanding. I'm saying this humbly is, hey, it's this stuff's above my pay grade. I have to I go where I'm pointed. I follow the orders that I'm getting. You know, like there's that whole component to it. So, like I said, this question when you drill down, it's almost like the different facets. Okay, like are you saying I'm a Pat's bodyguard incorporated? Who would you want to protect, or which life is worth saving, or like how to answer that question? So. When you point blank said, who would you take a bullet for? But family there, period. Well, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think in some of those situations you're you're talking about, if you don't care for the person, I think you're talking about protect, protecting the position, not the person, which mm-hmm. I would imagine yeah. you know, Secret Service agents probably have to do that all the time. But I would have said my, and not a completely flippant answer, but before all the Star Wars movies were finished, I might have mm-hmm. even said John Williams because the man had important work to do and, <laughs> and, and must be protected at all costs. Right. You know, he needed he needed to be able to finish all eight of the Star Wars movies that he scored. So <laughs> I am I'm glad that he made it to that. So all right. Thank you everybody for joining us. That is the end of this one. Find us at 30 Podcast on any of the different social medias. As Twitter is falling apart, there's other social medias that are getting created. We may even show up on those as well. So go check those out. The rest of this month, this is our May month of action movies, our Patreon episodes this month. If you're joining us over there on Patreon, thank you to our Patreon co-executive producers for your support every single month. We appreciate that so much. Special ones for you over there. The Patreon is American Graffiti from 73. Patreon shorts are Local Hero from 83 and The Hunger from 83. The rest of this month is Demolition Man, Loaded Weapon 1, Striking Distance, and The Three Musketeers. And then if you're looking ahead for the month of June, our Patreon for the month of June is Disney's Robin Hood from 1973. Our Patreon shorts are, I'm going to try to get to go see the Flash movie and do a Patreon short on that one. And then I'm just going to pick a random 80s movie. Like I've got a ton of DVDs and other stuff behind me that I've never watched. So I'm just going to pick a random 80s movie and do a short on that one. Cloak and Dagger. Ooh, that'd be a fun one. Just saying. All right. That might need a full episode, but... Now, I'll think about that one. I'll think about that one. But then the rest of that month is our From Page to Screen month. And we've got Much Ado About Nothing, The Pelican Brief, Shortcuts, and The Firm. So that's what we've got coming up for the rest of May and June. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Always enjoy talking movies. Thank you, John. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, John. Everybody. Thanks, John. Be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies. And we'll see you back here next time.